0: Hey everyone, my name is Bodie. My dad has a great podcast. You really should listen to it, mainly because my little bit's at the start. Well, I must be off. Bye! See you next week!
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Tomversation. Today, uh, in the hot seat, Josh Pitterman. Welcome buddy. Thanks so much for having me, Tomversation. Thanks mate. Um... <laughs> I could imagine this is like the first time you went back on stage after two years from COVID, mm. uh, performing like this. I, we're this in, podcast? No, we're in person. The f- feelings that I'm going through. Because I, I, I've been doing podcasts remote for years and I haven't done any in-person. So this is like the first time I've done an in-person podcast. Oh, I feel super
0: yeah. privileged. Yeah. This is great. And uh, How nice is it to like interact with another human and, and be
1: able to touch them? The one thing... Yeah, we, let's have a little embrace. Oh, the, 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 the reality is though, you notice things about yourself that haven't been there. As in uh, little nuances in your personality of like... Shoes coming off, which we just spoke about. I've, t- I've taken my shoes off because I don't want to get hot. Um, th- and you want to like, feel, you want to feel grounded. What was it going? You were, you do play uh, the the masked man. Yeah, Phantom. Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. What was it? Have you you haven't gone back to recording yet? To, to oh, sorry, f- um, performances. performance performance.
0: Uh, no, we start. I mean, I, I'm not in a hurry to get back to London <laughs> to do it. Um, not because I don't want to go back there and do it, just because I'm contracted to do it with the Sydney Opera House Now the Centre yeah. Melbourne first. So we start rehearsals for that yeah. in July. Um, so uh, a part of me has, has my mind there, but a part of me is like, I've got a bunch of other things, you know, for the next four months before mm. that even happens. So I'm just not uh, focusing there. But I, um, back to the not wearing shoes, I, I have to wear shoes. I would like to be, be barefoot for Phantom. I think it would. Is it, what is it, OHNS? Is
1: it one of those BS?
0: Yeah, also it's like, you know, a Victorian themed thing, and I don't think. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a man wore a boot in that era. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is funny. Like, it's like um, my next door neighbour, ninety four, and he's still dressing in his trousers. Like he's of that, he's of that age where He it
0: doesn't even know denim.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he would not. My grandfather lived to a hundred. And I'm pretty sure he died in his trousers. <laughs> they love a trouser that vintage. Love it. Like, yeah. it's, it, it reminds me of our Wesley um, school clothes. I know. <laughs> it is, it's, it's a proper like pleated oh. trouser. They,
0: there's certain fabrics that that generation just choose to yeah. ignore. It's like, it's yeah. like some, some older boomers st- <laughs> that are, I know still don't want to text or email. Yeah. Like, forget about socials. They only want to deal in person to person phone calls. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the, the trousers have no implication on me personally. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the people who
1: don't email and text, I'm just like, oh, yeah. it does,
0: does my head in.
1: Remember the smell after rain would hit your trousers at school? Like, there was, it must have been the quality of the fabric was shit. And there was like, oh, your blazer. Oh, the blazer. If you had to wear... I mean, if the you just... Wool, it's wool. It's wet wool. Yeah, yeah. See, so yeah. I reckon the last time I wore wool was high school, year nine, Wesley College. Well, you haven't lived in London? No. I mean, what, because it's cold? Is it that is, what you're... You're wearing your wool and knits, eh? you? gold. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those London winters. Oh, my God. Yeah. When was the last time we spoke? So, we can we can do a little... Uh, let's get, let's recap the years. Yeah. Um, the Daily Talk Show threads you through into conversation. It does. Uh, we, we knew each other previous to that. Like all good friendships, they start at a um, launch of some kind of new hotel and that's where we met. <laughs> well, I actually did
0: know you. You, you know this as yes. a um, as just a... a a kid from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, yeah, that, who who that was found him. his way to to to, <laughs> to Wesley College. And um yeah, and so I you were a few years below me and I would, you know, you, you just stood out as yeah. you know, just you could see that that um he just wanted to cause Mischief, yeah, and that just <laughs> that just stood out every lunchtime. There was an energy, yeah. There was an energy to it, and then did see you for basically until you you know finished puberty and became a man, yeah, yeah. And that was this launch of no no tell.
1: Oh, that's right. A a a bloke who owns a parking lot, and on the top story, he put on those airstream, yeah, airstream airstream trailers, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you redesign them. You can sleep in them. There's a spa at one of oh. them. Epic. It's elite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we, um, fast forward, uh, you were, so you've been on the podcast down the road here. um, When oh, Actually, New York City is when we first did our first pod together. Yep. Uh, And then we did one here on Easy Street, which is where we are right now. And then- Didn't you make me sing in the park? Yeah, that was in New York. Yeah, that was hilarious. That was good. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then you, then we had you on from London. Yep. That was during the lockdown. Yep. Because you were on Phantom- it's, it's called The Phantom. The Phantom of the Opera. The Phantom of the Opera. So you're on West End doing it there, yep. living your best life, and then COVID hits. Yep. And then you've come back to Australia with the hopes of doing <laughs> The Phantom of the Opera at the Opera House. And then it's delayed COVID by hits. It, Yeah. Oh, dude. <laughs> and now fast forward, we're actually seeing each other in person for the first time in years, but we've spoken, so nice. spoken a bunch, which yeah. is lovely. Um, I wanted to thread the conversation around the theme of mindfulness today. Oh, great. Because I know you've been doing that for many years. Yeah. Um, but also, thread it to um, how it contributes, or if it does, to succeeding in your career. Mm. So. A lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I. That's sort of the gauge of. Cool. That's it. That's it. It's that's it. Whole, We're, whole done. We're yeah. done. We're done. Awesome. <laughs> no, but I, I know it's helped me, and I'm not saying I'm the pillar of success. I, I look at you as someone who is. It's it's quite tangible. Someone who is going after the, the you know the goals in the space you are, if you're in the musical theatre game, you know you you were edging towards or trying to get closer to landing a big role. And I know when we were in New York City together, you didn't tell us, but you were already thinking about. You were off to London just after mm-hmm. we saw you, you cheeky bastard, and you kept that to yourself, which would have been good, but you didn't have it then. And so yeah, wh- how has mindfulness played a part in your life? And especially your career.
0: Yeah, well, that's funny you say. No, I didn't. I didn't have the role then. But you, you know, there's certain things that when you've got a really strong dream, and and you know, I've been taught and retaught many times, it takes the same amount of energy to to you know put it out to the universe to to want a really big dream as it does a really little dream. It's the same energy. So why not mm. shoot for the stars? Um, but then I, I sort of once I put it out there, I sort of. You know, keep it bubbling away and just do the work to to make it happen, and not have to communicate all of that until it's happening. Mm. Um, so that, that's that's why I didn't say anything to yeah. you guys back in Europe. Um, but it, it look the, the origin of it is um, like all things crisis. You, know, you you don't move into this realm of really wanting to um, establish a really strong game. Changing, life changing mindfulness practice, unless you've gone through some shit. And so my career is sort of in two halves. I graduated in 2006 from uh, what's now Federation Uni Musical Theatre course. And, and from there, I went straight into working in Disney for a year in Japan, joining the Ten Tenors, um, doing a show with MTC with Jeffrey Rush and Rhonda Birchmore and Shane Jacobson, all these. Big names, then landing a big lead role, doing West Side Story, then doing Hairspray over in the UK, and it was sort of bang, bang, bang. And mm. I hit sort of towards the end of that Hairspray um, tour, my dad got very ill. I was living in in the UK. My wife at the time was back here. I was real. I was having a lot of panic attacks, a lot of anxiety, um, you know, uh, performance anxiety, just my own anxiety, and um, and the panic attacks were, were quite uh, intense and. Um, and and vi- quite violent. Like I didn't want to hit anyone, but I needed to get something out. And it was, mm. you know, I'd, I'd punch a wall or I'd like, you know, sort of really um, something, some sort of monster inside of me needed to escape. Mm. And it was it was happening. The panic attacks weren't happening regularly; they're happening often enough. But the anxiety was daily. And how did
1: it sort of show itself?
0: What was I the- was just this, uh, like my my heart rate would feel like it was higher and in my throat mm. I, I couldn't get a breath and so my lungs and my my uh, rib cage felt like locked and just like that struggle to get oh, a yeah. yeah yeah and you want to like like yeah. yeah trying to get something yeah, yeah, yeah. and um and, and so I just moved into what I sort of um would define as um from graduating to you know 06 to 13 2013 seven years of ascension just ascending, ascending, climbing a ladder, climbing a ladder, m- more success, more validation, mm. more need for validation, more, all of that. Was there Is, a pl- destination? Did you see where you were going? Or was no, it was a- just more. Okay, it yeah. was just ascensionistic and and the needing for more, and um, that, that ultimately that doesn't work. So once I I realised that that what wasn't working and that I was had to look after myself in a way, mm. uh, my relationship. Want to be back with my father. Um, as as I, I then moved into, I was like, this this isn't working. I wasn't aware that that I, I had to do work on myself, but what was aware that I couldn't keep performing. And so I started a fitness business yeah. and did the same bloody thing with that, just to mm-hmm. say, oh, open, open a studio, hi, start make, it. and then that was too much. And then I was missing performing, and going back to performing. 15 months later, I went, okay, I've got to go back with a different mantra. It's got to be less about um, winning and more about the journey and the mm. experience, less about um, ascending and more about the the art and joy and what I got into it, you know, as a teenager in the first place, just the love of it. Mm. And then that sort of spawned a um, a lot of things. A marriage then I realized that that you know had known for a long time we both had that that wasn't working, so we split up and that started a very inward journey and then I started going, okay what are the the no marriage breaks up because hundred percent someone's fault it's always a combined thing over a period of time and I said okay well what's what's going on with me and I just went quite inward and I started uh, meditating and it's a part of that process, I, I, I began to go deeper and deeper into myself, learn more about myself, learn more about my flaws, things I'm shameful about, um, my, my own pain bodies that I hold on to and um, uh, conversations about myself that I say to myself mm. and ultimately, it became this thing that, I, you know, I haven't mastered anyway but uh, this idea of separating um, self from thought and the thoughts mm. that come in Don't define who who I Mm. am, Mm. and that there's a deeper um, understanding of who who I am, and that's been bit by bit, probably from about 2015 when I started meditating twice a day, to now. And different people I've seen along the path, you know, a guy called um, Asher Packman, um, who uh, ended up taking over my my business actually, um, was integral to that, and he's got a a great course called The Warrior Within. And I I did that in in lockdown, Um, speaking to people like Ben Crow, who people might know who's Ash Barty's mindset coach, you know, Um, even just spending a day with him and um, listen to his philosophies and just taking lots of things in from different people and just realize that um, there is a structure and a system um, to to mindset and looking after it is, for me as an artist, just as important, if not more Mm. important than looking after my skill and my technique for mm-hmm. me that always takes cares for itself of itself i'm always going to keep singing keep having singing lessons get better and better acting lessons get better at the skill of that but um so much can get in the way when you're on stage so much fear and anxiety and self-doubt mm-hmm. and all these things can get in the way if you can strip that away what's left is this um this the soul and the vulnerability and the heart and, and everything that feeling comes from mm-hmm. and that's where art comes from that's that's expression Mm. and so understanding myself as a human and a being really interrelated with myself as an an artist they're totally married Mm. um and it's um it's a it's a constant journey and the fact that i have to talk about it for like you know 10 minutes now means i don't fully understand and can't break it into one sentence hey
1: i enjoyed that that's great no but the break you took do you think you had to step away to get that clarity.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, it's, it's definitely a career of, of two halves and um, yeah. And and now, I, I just don't, I, I approach it with the same level of dreaming big, but I don't um, define my self-worth by achieving those things or mm. not. You know, they're big dreams, but they're not guaranteed. Yeah and if they don't happen i can't then be oh i'm less of a person because they happen i'm i'm you know i have less self love or self worth mm. put them out there just keep putting them out
1: there do you for you personally do you put it out there verbally do you write it down what's your your approach to yeah dreaming big a, a, a bit of a bit of
0: both definitely definitely writing it down try not to write it down more than once you know the you know d- dreams uh, that that i have um I don't feel like uh, they they take time to, um, to get to a point where I go. That's the that's the one, and mm. and I try not to have too many things that I'm focusing on. Yeah. Um, and so you know whether it's to play the the Phantom, um, that was a huge dream for a long time, and then before
1: once... the opportunity even came. Oh yeah, and so I mean that's that's the interesting bit when you hear people who are in a position like you that thought about something before. The opportunity arose. Mm-hmm. Is did, w- Earlier career, were you doing that? Like the 10 tenors? The, Absolutely. E- every
0: it... single role that I played, bar one, which was Cats, which just sort of came to me, but as a real gift um, at the time, um, has, they've all been things that I've put out there. Mm. Yeah. West Side Story was that. 10 tenors was definitely that. Hairspray was that beautiful carol king music and phantom was the longest yeah i must say F- phantom was from listening to like anthony warlow cds when i was 17 and listening to him sing music of the night and trying to sing mm. along with him really really poorly and going I- <laughs> this is i'd love to be able to do this one t- time in my life um you know you don't when graduating from university of ballarat at 21 really think that you're ever going to play the phantom in london the west end mm. but it's just something you put out there and then it was probably just prior to seeing you that i'd had a um a meeting with a really great producer friend of mine you know one of Australia's sort of leading producers we talked about what could be next and i said i'd always love to play the phantom and he said yes and just actually having that affirmation from someone Mm. in who i respect and revere so much gave me that sort of impetus to go all right let's make this happen so i you know so i sought out um a music supervisor of phantom in australia the music supervisor of phantom in australia for the last 30 years guy by the name of guy and um and just started working on the material and and just working on the material like each and every day and i before my first audition i knew the whole score back to front i reckon that just breathed into life it's like Mm. each day in my living room i was i was the phantom and so it got to a point where where there's this this feeling that um that it's not will i it's like how how will i not mm. you know it's like this self belief became so so strong mm. so stepping into that first audition i, I felt so good about it. i felt so confident in mm. it um and i knew that if they gave me anything from the show yep i know that bit i know that bit yeah
1: yeah i mean there's lots of ways we could go i think we bring it back to the mindfulness that audition versus the time before when you didn't have a mindfulness practice what what did that look like? What was that version of you and yeah, what was the difference?
0: Yeah. Um, the version of, of, of me that doesn't have the practice is a version of me that goes, I care so much about what that panel thinks of me. So, ultimately, I care so much about something that is entirely out of my control. Mm. I, I can't change what they think about me. Whether or not I do a good job or not, I can't change what they think of me. I can only go, I'm comfortable with what I did. And there's so much power in that and that's a mindfulness practice. That is totally um, trusting in your own abilities and going regardless of the outcome of this audition, I know that I'm enough. I know that I still love myself. All, all of that, that work is, is mindfulness and the outcome is dependent on what I do and what they think of what I do. That the latter is just totally out of my control. And so you go in there with this power going, I'm not trying to play psychic and go, what are they, while you're doing it, what do they want? Oh, to think maybe in this moment they might want me to do this. And you, you're not present in the moment. You're not present just, just being in the material. And so my mindfulness practices certainly helped me with that of just totally involving myself in my creativity and my art and forgetting about. What the panel are thinking as much as I, I possibly can, mm. and not overanalyzing it after. Oh, what about that moment? What about that moment? Did I feel like I did my best in that moment? Did I feel nourished by what what I gave artistically?
1: That's it. That's all. That's mm. all I can
0: do, and then step away.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it it sounds easier said than done. You know, like you could uh, don't overthink it, or you know that those that sort of basic line of communication that a lot of people have and i've i've been guilty of saying that to people um but thoughts are very powerful we you you spoke before about sort of that separation between the thought and your experience how do you sort of explain that process that you go through or the the i guess the tools you've implemented to be able to have that thinking in the first place yeah, I, and also bubbly water wasn't a great idea, yeah, I know, was a lot, it? A lot of
0: burps. I asked Josh if he uh-huh. wants
1: some water before. He said, "Oh, just still, just still." <laughs> All they had was nine dollars bottles of bubbly. So and I'm just burping every three minutes. Me too, dude. Sorry, um, sorry. Dude. So, <laughs> so, don't overthink
0: it. <laughs> don't over, don't overthink the water. Um, so I think you you know a part of one of the lessons I, I learned. Um, I guess that I was sort of doing already, but. Ben Crow really instilled to me in our one-day session um, was this this idea of, of really knowing yourself who who am I and and being able to come back to that at any point point. and so you know I you know taking a sort of early early childhood memory of myself um, in this in a particular exercise and and I just go oh my god I, I am I'm tactile I'm um, cheeky. I'm I'm loving. I'm intensely passionate. I'm I'm um, I'm caring. I'm all these sort of um, these these words. And and what what I've learned is that they they apply to me as as an artist in in that in that moment. How do I bring passion and love and mm. and kindness to my work and and cheekiness to my work? All all these things. And when I'm doing that. I'm being authentically me. Yeah.
1: Is there a separation though from Josh at today's day, looking at that version of yourself?
0: Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, there there isn't in that those things are innate and they're always yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a thousand masks that I've yeah, fucking hilarious because <laughs> I'm metaphor, playing. I'm great, playing great uh, mask. Um, half, half mask. Half, half mask. Um, yeah. You know, a thousand masks that we all wear that I've worn. Too, to try and be something to someone in a certain moment mm. um, or multiple things to someone in a certain moment and y- you know that that's just laden with so much insecurity because it's basically me saying i don't trust who i am so i'm going to give you this mm. version of me that i think you want i'm not entirely sure that that's what you want i'm just experiencing something from you that may suggest that you want this and i'm going to give you a bit of this. like what the fuck is that like i, I can't it's so hard to maintain that, mm. but we all try and maintain that. We want to be a certain version of ourselves, and why do you think we do that? Where does it come from? From wanting to be loved. I think it's a a thing of, I'm not entirely sure that I'm lovable and that I'm enough, and I carry some shame around that, and um, and so what I'm going to do is present this version of myself to you because I hope you love it, mm. and I, I I think it's um. One of the hardest things to get past, and and one of the saddest things that exists in our society, that mm. we're not we're not necessarily taught how to, how to love ourselves, and that comes back to all sorts of stuff from from birth and child conditioning and schooling and all sorts of stuff. But I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And have I nailed it all the time? Absolutely fucking not. Mm. Do I have to come back to this stuff literally every single day in my journaling? Yes, because it's it's. The fact that I, I struggled with it means that there's some neural pathways that have identified with a certain version of myself and I have to reteach them and it's constant teaching mm. to to get them there. So it doesn't come without work. It's not one day you suddenly wake up and go, Yep, I am of course I'm enough and I'm all these things and you know, I don't have thoughts that I attach myself to. Of course I do. And it's that is the work. It's not actually doing the meditation, doing the mindfulness practices and all the journaling or whatever isn't um, isn't just like a, a, a flick of a switch it's just it's just not it's just a constant remembering and forgetting remembering forgetting mm. yeah so it's yeah
1: it is it is amazing the the time that you took off um, the break that you had when you got back into personal training you opened your personal training studio was there any time where you lost maybe momentum i don't know the word that you might articulate um drive or, you know, you felt like your skill set wasn't enough. You know, when you're not in it, when you're not doing it every day, you can feel disconnected from it. Like my in, artistic
0: skill set? Yeah, it's like oh, a, yeah.
1: even a... It could be like self-sabotage, like, oh, I'm actually not as good as I thought I was or...
0: Yeah, um, definitely when I, you know, when I was doing the PTing, I wanted... There were times where I'd go into you know, the Pilates studio had great acoustics and try and sing and things weren't <laughs> cooking as well as they'd once have and I was um, that would upset me. But I've always had this thing where if I'm not singing the way I want to, I go, that's a technical thing, let's go and sort it out and I'll go and see whoever my teacher is at that point. And I normally have teachers in big chunks of period of time, like, you know, I saw my first teacher for probably eight eight years, maybe seven years, and then my second major teacher for about seven years. And, and so, you know, you have this sort of mentor coach, someone who really understands you and your voice and you at a spiritual level and just gets you. And so, I'd see that that person and start, you know, working on the stuff. And, you know, after every role that I've played, um, because you're singing the same thing so often, your voice gets sort of stagnated in this one tone or one time, even from Phantom, you know. Um, and so, I'll, I always go back and see that to like unlock the other parts of, mm. of my voice. So, I've never like, yes, my voice is my biggest issue. Totally, that's the that's the thing I have the most problems with attaching my self worth to. Because if I sing poorly, what I think is poorly for me, I, that's when I beat myself up. Because I go, I was in control of that. I let my mindset or my or I let my skill set fade away for whatever reason. I I, I I let the moment get the better of me, and that shits me to tears. Because then I go, oh, the work that I'm doing, you come, I'm like what are you doing? Mm. And then I very quickly bounce back out of it. But if I'm having just a little bit of struggle with something, I generally know it's a technical thing and I go, let's go and see my coach like mm. like Federer would probably do if he's, you know, that graceful topspin backhand just wasn't cooking or he's framing it more often than he's yeah. like, there's something technical, let's clean that bit of technique up and that's that's what I'll do. So, I can normally see it quite objectively. Um, you said you sort of bounce back from that negative spiral quite Very quickly. quickly. and I do it all the time, like even with the shows closing or whatever. Yeah. I that's just I don't know where I got that from. Yeah, and it's something that I'm very grateful that I have as an innate quality. But nothing really gets me down for a long period of time. Mm. I always go, all right, there's a there's a wall there, there's a dead end road there. Okay, let's let's reverse back out. Let's go. Let's find another street.
1: Mm. A good challenge to see if uh, that is true or not. You being down for a while was uh, the Phantom of the Opera stopping yep. because of COVID. Yep. What was that experience like in in your head? Uh, the first time
0: um, with London, it was just sort of like, oh, well, it'll it'll kick back up and, um, you know, this COVID thing, you know, it was sort of mid-March 2020. We were told, oh, a couple of weeks and yeah, yeah. we'll be back. And then it just sort of went on and on to a point where they, they sort of had to sever our contracts. Um, I remember going to Scotland to visit my... Um, future in-laws then and i just had this one half day where i was just in bed i just wanted to cry and that's sort of all i needed and then that i think that afternoon or the next day i um, i booked into a, a meditation teacher training i'm like this is this has changed my life i want to share this with people and i sort of used 2020 as an opportunity i went if i'm going to descend a little bit here into you know off the 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 top of the cliff and the apex of this journey that I'm on with my career. If I'm gonna fall off and descend, let's do it consciously. Mm. Let's like really descend into myself and learn more about myself and and you know um and and become more ingrained in my spiritual self, I guess. Yeah. And so I teach learning how to teach meditation, you've got to do a lot of that stuff. So I did a great course with one giant mind. And then similarly I did the Warriors the worry within course of warrior's way, and um, and so those things simultaneously over a oh, four month period mm. meant the whole second half of um, twenty twenty was amazing. Like it was just so uh, you know, in some ways, I've never felt better sort of spiritually within myself. It was it was awesome. Yeah, and what- then twenty twenty one get to Australia for a little bit for a holiday. Get a call from Opera Australia saying, "Hey, would you hang around and do Phantom at the Sydney Opera House?" Yeah, and so. You know, myself and Lottie, my partner, we, we moved everything over here. We got her a visa to be here and to work and whatever. And then three days before rehearsals in last July, get told us cancelled again. That one shot me like a tracer bullet in my heart. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and maybe there was some suppressive things that I wasn't aware that I was holding on to. But I just like scream cried, like on the floor. Fucking... You know, in fetal position, just like just bawling, just so much pain. Um, yeah, it, it that 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 hurt me a lot that one because of so many levels, and I think there was a bit of guilt around. You know, um, I don't think Lottie necessarily, you know, wanted to move her life over here. She did it as a, as a, uh, you know, a, a sign of love or a, um, a, a choice made out of love for me, and then. I always have a little bit of guilt around that, and moving her away from her family and her friends and whatever, mm. just to support me. And then that, once again, it's not in my control, but that I just felt, I just felt so shit for that. But once again, a couple of days later, cool. All right, well, how do we make the most of this yeah. time? And then got into doing
1: other things. And um, first time was a half half day crying in bed. Second was two days <sighs> crying, yeah. and then you you threw it. I mean, I think it's. Uh, It's a trait of people who are succeeding in whatever field they're in, is to have a positive retrospective story on a situation quite quickly. And I've got a friend who was an addict and changed his life around. And I remember speaking to him quite soon into that journey. And he had that story already. And now he has a clearer version of that story. But it's interesting that... He was, you know, it's you can tell yourself a story quite quickly that makes you okay with whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe the first time around there was a version of that that then you actually confront it when it happens again. I don't know. I could imagine that would be something I'd do, convince myself I'm all good and not not deal with it. When you did the... I, I think I... I, think I I, don't think I didn't deal with it
0: on either time. I dealt with it as much as I could in, in, yeah. in that moment. And I think I felt the things I needed to feel and then I let the rest go. I don't think w- what doesn't serve me is trying to search for more pain okay. or yeah. trying to identify, which is me letting my thoughts dictate with I am I choose to be a victim here. Well, this is out of my control. I don't have to be defined by mm. this set of circumstance. I can go, this is shit. It's fucked. It's happened to me twice. Um it's also happening to millions of artists yeah, all around yeah. the world. I'm This isn't just my story and I don't need to be defined by it. how, what, how can I live my deeper purpose, which is to serve and nourish people mm. through music and to, to be able to take them to another like to tr- able to transcend into another world that enables them to feel things deeply. Mm. Okay okay, cool. Okay, I've, now I'm a trained meditation teacher. Meditation enables you to do that too. Now, it's time to teach meditation mm. Now, because people really fucking need it right now. So, that's what I did. I spent most of 21 just teaching people how to meditate and guiding people through yeah. meditation.
1: And that was it. So uh, and that's, That felt great too. Yeah, that's awesome. So, 2020, that's when you did the, the training course. Yep. You said you started a mindfulness practice 2015 when you really got into it. What did you learn when you started teaching Uh about yourself and the previous years before and your experience with mindfulness because I think when you start teaching you start learning a bit more about your own ability mm. in that space um i think I think it's probably a bit more compassion
0: and a bit more um, you, you hear people people's stories a little bit more rather than just your own stories and I think yeah what you learn is that there's a collective struggle and obviously with COVID there is a deeper collective struggle but everyone has their own Mm. individual stories and and stuff and although um, the meditation can be helpful, what I'm providing is a tool and support Um, but I can't, I can't, you know, man, you want to fix problems and Mm. like I just can't fix and change everyone. I can't be attached to that outcome. I can just provide them with that and and you know lead, lead lead the horse to water so to speak and and hope that they they drink it and feel nourished from it and um and, and and stick to it and you know meditation isn't a quick fix that's that's the thing it's not you can't just pop it like a you know neuhim when you've got a headache and mm. think that oh suddenly I'm just enlightened you know it's um it's time and it's patience and a lot of people don't want to give that time to a to a practice because we live in, in an immediacy culture where if I've got a mental health issue or I'm suffering from anxiety, I want it to go away. Whereas meditation doesn't operate like that. Mm. It's getting to understand yourself and your thoughts more so that you can be more discerning about which ones you would choose to attach yourselves to and that takes time and patience. And So, I'm just providing them with the tools and, and support along the way and that's all I could do. Mm. That was a big lesson because initially I wanted to go, yes, I'm a meditation teacher and I can give you yeah. the tool and you can, you know,
1: this is, this is going to help everyone because meditation helps everyone because it helped me. But that's just not the case. I think um, a lot of people probably get into a pra- practice of mindfulness or meditation. They start seeing, you know, <laughs> seeing what matters or under- take, giving a greater understanding of what matters and what might matter is not a great deal. You've got your family and some things that really do matter. Is
0: that how it is for you? Because I know you meditate. Yeah. yeah. And now you've got two kids and like, does that, is that what it is? It's perspective around what, yeah, what's really important.
1: Yeah. 100%. I think my biggest challenge is my own mind and I'm with my own mind. I, you know, it is the experience I'm having all the time. And I look at things like career and we've spoken a lot about career here because we're connecting it to the mindfulness practice. And I, and I do think about what all that even means or matters. Why it even matters. You know, there's things like money that we need to survive, and and but I but I see the trappings of success in air quotes, um, especially around our career. The the dopamine response from mm-hmm. if we land a job, we'll get chosen or picked by somebody, or we're getting notoriety online, and and so. I don't think the answer is to get rid of all of that. No, uh, th- there's like a, a a different way of experiencing that. I think you yeah, bang on, and
0: we we've got a. You know, coming back to what I said at the start, I think as a society and what we've been taught is a very ascensionistic version of mm. success. It's climbing a ladder, whether that's a corporate ladder or, or for me, it was a better role in a better show in London or, you know, like that means more. and But that, that's bullshit. What is success is going, am I living my purpose fully and authentically? I think that is. And for most of us, we don't even know what our purpose is, mm. our deeper purpose. And so, finding out what that really is, what really serves you and nourishes you and going, am I living that fully? Mm. Yeah. And I think if you know what that is, you deeply know what that is and you wake up every morning to to serve that fully, Mm. whether or not, you know, you're you're on this amount of money or this amount of money, you know, if you're providing and, and, and you're stable and you don't have stresses around that and you're living your... Full purpose, you can't help but feel fantastic. Yeah, I mean, a, a purpose, and that can be deemed like you know, people listening might go, "Oh, that's fucking esoteric," and that's just woo yeah. and whatever. But re, you know, I, I I ask you, like, you know, what is your absolute sole purpose? Like, what is it for you? Mm.
1: Yeah, I I don't I don't know if I've nailed it down to a purpose or oh, that's how I'd articulate it. I I know when I'm living a life where. I'm, I'm doing the things that I really enjoy doing. And it's amazing if you can make money doing the things that you really enjoy doing. But then there's, you know, the value set of mine or the, the things that are most, um, that, are, that I value the most. So, you know, my family, uh, my health, you know, my relationships. And so, you know, you could outline those. And so living in alignment with your own values. So am I eating well? am I training, am I meditating, am I being a good partner, a good friend? Like, you feel good when you're living. So, they're all either service to yourself or service to another. Yeah.
0: And I think a part of our um, innate desire is to serve in some way. Um, and uh, probably a good example because, you know, she, she, you hear her with this dialogue so often is um, Ash Barty. And she talks about her deeper purpose being to serve her indigenous community and to inspire young and indigenous, you know, girls and boys to, to be able to go for their dreams and um and you know, without any pun's intended, she's serving that up yeah. all the time. That's Iced that's it. what she does. Yeah. And so whether or not she wins the Australian Open or Wimbledon or not, it's that's not the purpose. Mm. The the attachment of purpose is to is to something far, far deeper and more, um, you know, more gratifying and more probably spiritually aligned mm. to it in some way, whether she's aware of that or not. Um, Do yeah. you think you so that service?
1: Yeah. Do you think you'd have a different perspective on purpose if if you hadn't had the successes in your career? Because I, you know, think about the person out there that doesn't have a purpose. They feel like they don't have one. They're not doing a job that they actually enjoy. And so, they're working and making money just because they have to. But could their service be my the services to my family, what I care yeah. most about, what I
0: love most and what I value most is, is my children and, and my, my partner and just I, I care about providing and I just want to be some, I just want to live to, to provide and that, mm. that, that, that could be it. I want to make. I want to give them the best opportunity they have to, um, you know, my my kids. That is to take on life in the fullest, and so they can go about everything that they want. I know that that really deeply is what it is for my parents. Yeah, you know, they were born out of um, you know, Holocaust surviving parents, and they didn't have any opportunities to, to do to do anything but try and succeed at school. And they didn't go to great schools, but they worked really hard and they succeeded at school. When they had myself and my sister, they wanted to afford us all the opportunities, especially extracurricular ones, that they didn't have. So, we had piano lessons, I had guitar lessons, singing mm-hmm. lessons, tennis, footy, cricket. Like I, I, they just gave us, from their success, they gave us all these opportunities. I know that that was a part of their deeper purpose because it's what they wanted for themselves,
1: I think. How do you think that uh, affected you Positively, it sounds like it, um, and your view on purpose, seeing your parents live, th- live that version of their life.
0: Uh, I think, well, their work ethic has innately instilled in me this understanding that if you work hard enough, you don't have to be particularly talented, which I wasn't to, to start, but if you work hard enough at anything you really care about, there is the potential to succeed at it. So, mm. that that was huge. But also, I'm just eternally grateful that they, they provided me these opportunities, afforded me these opportunities mm. and that, you know, I'm, I'm really acutely aware, especially when it comes to sing lessons, you know, most of the kids that I studied with, they, they couldn't afford to have singing lessons every week beyond the training we were getting at uni. Mm. I, I mean, over the course of three years, that's 150 weeks, I reckon I had 110 extra singing lessons than some of these other kids because my parents paid for it. That's huge. Mm. That's that's a hundred and ten hours with an elite singing coach to get better at the thing that you love the most. Of course, I'm going to advance more because mm. I'm acquiring a skill at a at a, a more at a, you know acute level than than they are, and that that's that's massive. So I'm I'm really grateful for that. But I'm also grateful that my parents decided to work so 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 hard so that they could fulfill this purpose. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know whether my where well, my parents have thought about it like that, I can see that in them because they talk about that so much. I know that's something they they really. When we come back to values, that's something they 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 really value. Um, and, and I think when when we're living for the you know the the next paycheck and all all of that, um, and life is just Monday to Friday, and you know the weekend is there to sort of forget about the Monday to the Friday to do it all again and um, it's hard to feel really um, content with, within yourself uh, and you don't have to earn more or less money mm. to be succeed. I think you just have to be able to change the conversation, have a deeper understanding of, of what it is that you really want to to do in, in life mm. and, um, and, uh, and life can become quite beautiful
1: from that I think. When have you been the the happiest throughout that journey? And, and what do you think about that, that question or that answer of that time?
0: Yeah, I, I, I know that I'm the happiest when I feel like I'm serving, um, when I'm off service. And I'm, I think I'm also the happiest when um, my gratitude meter is is quite high. So, they both take a level of self-awareness and emotional intelligence to to compute that and to go, okay, I'm out of alignment there. Am I, Am I serving or... You know, am I coming back to my deeper purpose to nourish people through music and 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 song, or to take people mm. to to that other other world, um, that you know that allows for deeper feeling? Oh, I've forgotten that. Come back to that. And whatever you're doing, however I'm doing, the being needs to come back mm. to to that rather than obsessing about the the minutia of the of the doing. Mm. And uh, you know, we we have become great human doings and. We forget about the human being a hell of
1: a lot. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And and so, if I'm not doing that, then that's something to check up on. And every time I come back to it, I feel better. Secondly, if I'm sort of um, just going through life without, which is very rare now because I do write in a gratitude journal every bloody day. Um, what does that look like? What do you Three Very simple. Three things that I'm grateful for at that moment and that, that time so whether it's an opportunity whether it's a friendship whether it's um a great conversation it can be that that tiny whether it's an extra kiss before someone goes to work um you know or any tiny thing Mm -hmm. can be great and then sit in it and actually don't just write it just sit in it Mm -hmm. and and think about how it made me made me feel Mm -hmm. um so it has to be something that's happened recently or else you know you forget how it made you feel um and then i write down uh a reminder of three things that I that I am. You know, so the, coming back to those the conversation we had earlier around around that. And then th- three ways I will live out my purpose. I will be of service. And that can be as simple as smiling at a stranger down the street. Um, and hopefully they don't go, "He's a weirdo." But I can't mm, control yeah. that. I'm coming forward at a place of love and I want, you know, someone to to feel that yeah. that's it and if they if that puts a smile on their face well that's great and if it doesn't well then I couldn't control it yeah yeah so they're, they're the three things that, and then a little have a little to-do list for the day yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back,
1: bring it back bring it back to that thinking mind mm. just uh,
0: get, well there's get, some there's something in that too like when you do have a, a to-do list and and you 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 know we've all had them at some point I think and you just tick it off or you cross off your oh there's a sense of accomplishment mm. and it gets you on a bit of a path of going oh yeah I can I can achieve that even though it was to go to yoga at Seven thirty A. M. Yeah, I did yeah. that. You know, whatever it was, or to call that person or to pay that bill or whatever, you 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 did it. And there's that that feeling of achieving is, is also
1: I think quite neural in a way. Mm. Yeah. Um, so July, the Phantom of the Opera is back. Yeah. What's uh you said you haven't been visiting it in your mind too much. Is that because you got too much stuff on at the moment? Or uh, is it that it's a lot to take on and it's a real commitment when you actually do start? <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I think uh, I've got better at compartmentalizing over the years and so I've made sure that I know what each month is about at the moment. So, December, I had a series of concerts. I only focused on that and January, I had a series of things and a COVID, so I had to sort of deal with that. And then February, it's this sort of uh, little Victorian rural tour of, you know, that I'm, I'm doing. Look out, Ballarat. Yeah, Ballarat. This week. And then uh, March, it's another, another project. April, I'm doing some recording. May, I'm going on another little tour June I'm taking the month off. July I'll get into Phantom. And so probably while I'm having the month off overseas we're going to UK and Europe. I'll 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 be visiting Phantom then, but musically it's a role that I've done. It's a new production mm. of it, so there'll be some new direction. so I'm open to that. But um but I don't, you know, I I, I feel like I, I need to put my attention into what's happening now rather than what's happening in July. Yeah. But I can't wait I, like I'm peaking for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely peaking for it because it's the most thrilling show role to do and the company's great and yeah. I think we're going to make something really special and something really memorable as a as a team, as a cast and a company and I'm looking forward to being a part of that because um, ultimately they're the shows, you know, you can have any, a great role or this or that but the shows that you remember the most as the most fulfilling are the ones where,
1: mm.
0: where, you know, it was just a freaking great team and I've had ones that weren't so much like that. Um, Phantom in London was was definitely that uh, you know some just fucking epic people, awesome crew, yeah, and that and, that, and, and awesome stage management and stuff, yeah. and and that and director and music director. I mean, I just love these guys so much. That's I, I think that's what I miss most about doing it in London is going to work and seeing those those people and sharing the moments with those people. Yeah.
1: Mm. What did that look like when you were in in London? What time would you rock up? What time Would you get high or leave the the theater um, so show starts at
0: seven thirty in London a uh, night show, um, so let's go on that because the matinee days are just like yeah, um I would get to the theater about five five thirty have a little bite to eat of something that doesn't sit in my tummy like a you know concrete mm. um, I put no actually i 'd have a little a little thing beforehand, and then I'd have something to eat, then I'd do a little um Little sort of yogury, flowy, stretchy sort of thing, and then say hi to people as they start coming in at by about uh, six o'clock, and then at uh, is
1: this other cast or people there to watch it? Oh no, other cast. I was going to say, out the front. <laughs> g'day,
0: g'day. <God>. g'day. <laughs> I'm playing the fan tonight. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you won't
0: recognise me, but um, yeah, it's me. Um, no, just other cast and, and uh, you know people I was talking about, yeah, and then yeah. at six thirty, get in the makeup chair. That takes about. An hour or so. Yeah. Um, and then, so I'd like to be... The Phantom doesn't appear on stage until about 20 minutes into the show. So, technically, I could be finished my makeup two minutes before I go on. Didn't like that. Mm. So, I'd like to finish, bef- like, right as the curtain's coming up. And then i get into my costume, say a few, you know, prayers or whatever. And then, like, the final thing before I get on stage every night would be to look in the mirror and, like, put the mask on and... Because the transfer... That sort of... Is the begin like the, the real transformation that's the that's the defining moment for me of the yeah. transformation and then trying to have the best time i can in the two and a half hours the show's come off uh, going up and then uh, when i get off stage try and make that getting off out of the character because he's so effed up quite quite sacred too so like don't just rip the makeup off like actually mindfully take it off like you like i'm shedding this character and then have a cold shower because um, it's you know good for the nervous system yeah, and yeah. Vegas and whatever, and and then become Josh again and then go out to the crowd uh, the the people at stage door, um, have a little chat, sign it, sign a few things, and then shut up. And then I didn't talk again till like midday the next day. Have like 13 hours of vocal rest. Wow. Yeah, do, and do that and repeat, much to the despair of my fiance and whatever. Like she's just become such a good lip reader and whatever. And yeah. this and these are this, the things that people aren't aware of. They go, oh, you go out and show. Me. Mm. I, I in the whole contract I went out once, yeah, on after
1: a show for about forty minutes. It's crazy, you know. Like the even hearing that, I kind of imagine the story. If you were a aspiring uh, musical theatre, Is there a word for it? Performer. Performer. You just yeah, you 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 you're, you've done the training and you're thinking about. The dream, the big role that you might land one day, and I and I hear that story, and it's sort kind of you know gets me feel like you're right. I see you see that sort of romantic version of what you're doing. You're living in cold London. You're living, you know, you're traveling to West End every day. Yeah,
0: you wake up every morning and you go, "Is it there? How's my voice?" Yeah, the first thing I do when I wake up every morning is go, hmm, "Is my range there?" Like. Like, that's yeah. what the focus becomes on. Can, can I do the job tonight? Um, because it's more about recovery to get yeah. up and do it all again than, than it is about the show itself sometimes. And then, really, once you're on that stage, that has to be... If you're if you if you're an artist who doesn't get the biggest kick out of that, more than, you know, having a name in a program or being able to tell someone that you're this and that or being able mm. to post something on socials. or If your biggest kick isn't coming from the time you're on stage, then, like... Like, I think you need to find something yeah, else or, or find risky... out or find out why yeah, and get into that.
1: But it's even the version that we tell ourselves of what it will, will be like, mm. which is just a construction of thoughts mm-hmm. and a good story that sort of makes us feel something. But then the majority of the time is actually, yeah, harder. You know, it's, it's hard. You, you, you're worried about your voice, your performance, the impact it's having on the people around you. I mean, how how do you see that as someone who's probably been at the early stages thinking about that future role? Like, how do you see the separation there between the person that didn't understand any of the things that you Mm. do now and where you are now?
0: I, I remember playing Tony in West Side Story. I did that across Australia for a year. So, let's talk 350 shows or whatever. And I spent so many of them, I can recall it. Singing Maria, which is the big song, Maria, it doesn't matter, and going, actually singing it, going, I hope they're liking it, oh, I hope they like that note. Like, literally in it, policing myself and policing my performance in a way to um, try and get the response I wanted or question whether that person's like, like, like or you have people in, mm. I wonder if the people, you know, who've come to see me, my friends who love me unconditionally are enjoying what I'm doing. Like, all of this sort of shit and how can you be artful in that? Mm. You know, you just can't. You're not. You're. On, I'm only in my head and my and my thoughts and analysis. And what what I've learned is that there's a skill component to performing that has to have an analytical approach because it's neural, and your t- the mind is teaching the body how to do something, how to what to do in order to sing that note, and you have to train that. But to, to feel is not of the mind. To feel is of the heart and, and the soul. And so, I always come back to that, um, that Aboriginal theory of the three brains. The brain of, of the gut, which is around intuition and instinct. The brain of the heart, which is around passion and desire and love. And the brain of, of, of the head, which is around analysis and, and critique and intellect. And, and once I'm on that stage... Yes, there's things that need to be. I have to hit that mark and I have to hit that thing and I have to remember that bit of mm. vocal technique for that particular note of that particular song. But once that's in, it's how do I just sink into my mm. heart space and, and my intuitive space and just let it flow? Mm. And that's what I feel like getting into that zone or flow space it is about. And when that's that's happening, which you can't force, you just have to surrender to it, that's beautiful. Mm. And it all just... Happens and it's and it's that's that's magic and that's the moment they're the moments that um that you you sort of um that you pine for i guess as an as an artist more more than anything
1: the, yeah i'm fired up i want to come see it huh it, coming to melbourne yeah yeah
0: uh end of october for a, a big period of time at the art center great i mean there's something about the sydney opera house though there is something about the sydney opera house it just has a Oh, some sort of oh. attachment to it. And, I, you know, it, I've, I've actually never performed inside the Sydney Opera House. I've yeah. only performed on the forecourt looking at the Sydney Opera House on a couple of Australia Day concerts. Yeah. And that in itself was really cool. So, I can't
1: wait to get in it. Do you know what room? Because uh, Hannah Gatsby's special, she did one from the Sydney Opera House. It's like this hu- it was a huge room. So, there's the, we're in the Joan
0: Sutherland Theatre. Joan Sutherland. So, I think it's about a 1500 seater. Um, and then at the art centre, um, we're in the state theatre, which is twenty mm. two hundred. So uh, amazing, yeah, oh, dude, it's yeah. so exciting. It is now so. you're
1: pumped up about it, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I, I I am because I've just gone to that space. But yeah, I have got to say, yeah, like, yeah. that's the problem. If you go there too often, you'd be too excited all the time. You just like, but that's the same. It's we're for not for the future. It's, it's performing in in Geelong last week and performing in Ballarat on yeah. Thursday. I still get to go to that
0: that place. Yes, there's moments in the show where I have to think technically as a singer, but most of it, for me, the show is regaling all sorts of old mm. stories, you know, thrilling stories, really vulnerable stories, funny stories, and then singing show tunes that I love. So, I get to go to that place as well. So, it, well, the great thing about learning this understanding, these theories and philosophies at a deeper level is that it doesn't matter if you're performing in front of 100,000 people, you're performing in front of 50 or 100 people, you still like, you still give it the same
1: love. Yeah. i love it dude uh you're a dude living your purpose and um yeah i think you're great you've you've always been generous with your time you you're you're really supportive i feel like you want the people around you to win yeah and um i think it 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 only (laughs) lifts you up but i know that's not why you're doing it you genuinely want the people around you to succeed so i feel it and i appreciate it josh
0: thanks brother lots of love